Our scripture reading today comes to us from 2 Kings in its second chapter, beginning at the first verse. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take your master away from you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The company of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take your master away from you? And he answered, yes, I know. Be silent. And then Elijah said to him, stay here, for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the company of prophets also went and stood at some distance from them as they both were standing by the Jordan. And then Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water. The water was parted to the one side and to the other until the two of them crossed on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I may do for you before I am taken from you. Elisha said, please, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. He responded, you have asked a hard thing. Yet if you see me as I'm being taken from you, it will be granted to you. If not, it will not. As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah ascended in a whirlwind into heaven. Elisha kept watching and crying out, Father, Father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. But when he could no longer see him, he grasped his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the river Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. The company of the prophets from Jericho who were watching said, The spirit of Elijah is resting on Elisha. And they went to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us and let the fire of your spirit burn brightly in our hearts. Open our minds to receive the wisdom of the law the hope of the prophets, and the life of the gospel. Jesus Christ, your living word. Amen. So I have this face I make. It's not a face I particularly like. In fact, I would go so far as to say it is an unattractive face. You might think that I would now make the face for you, that I would show it to you, but I'm not going to do that. Trust me, you don't want to see it. You would have to scour the ends of the internet to find it because I don't post pictures of myself making the face on the internet. And despite my best efforts, this face, it just will not be stopped. I cannot keep myself from making the face. 
I would say that I hate the face, but here's the thing. The interesting thing about the face is my mother makes the face. <laughs> and my grandma Marie, she made the face. And when I think of my grandmother Marie making the face, it was usually when something had touched her. When she was feeling sentimental in the very best way, sort of surrounded by her family, happy to the point of tears, or I suppose I should say happy to the point of making the face. My mother makes the face every time she's able to worship here with us. She sits in the front pew and she makes the face for a full hour. It's really something. And the face, it kind of looks like a frown, but really, really the face, it's an expression of love. And so I think it's fair to say that not only the face, but a certain kind of love has passed through the generations to me. I imagine one or both of my children will at some point in the future wonder why, oh why, can't I stop making this ridiculous face? And it is my hope, it is my hope that they might think of me and remember that most of the time when I made the face, it was because of my deep abiding love for them. Perhaps the face is in some ways a legacy, a visual reminder of the love that has passed and will pass between generations. Today's scripture reading tells us the story of two men, a mentor and a student, two prophets, but it's also the story of persistence and fidelity between two men who were devoted to one another, who loved one another. Three times, Elisha says, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And Elisha, he stayed with Elijah to the very, very end. It's a story of Elijah being taken to heaven, yes, but it's also a story about how, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Elijah never really leaves. Part of Elijah, a double share, a double share being the amount of inheritance the elder son in, in historic Israel would have inherited, a double share passes to Elisha. It's a story about how Elijah's life, it echoes in the life of his mentee. How Elijah is never really gone. When the company of prophets were at Jericho and they, they see Elisha at the distance, they declare, the spirit of Elijah, it rests on Elisha. And they come to meet him and they bow on the ground before him. In death, Elijah's spirit, it rests on Elisha, and other people can see it. It changes who Elisha is. On this Transfiguration Sunday, we hear a story then not only of Elijah's transfiguration, but also of Elisha's transformation as a result of the abiding love and the faithfulness between the two men. And we hear a story that makes it plain that through the Holy Spirit, Elijah outlives his earthly life by passing on part of his gifts to Elisha. Looking at scripture, lots of examples in scripture and our own lives, we can see that there are these threads, these plot lines, if you will, of love that connect one life to another. And this all makes sense because each of us were playing a part 
in a play authored by God, and it's all connected, and there are no small parts. God is at work transforming all of creation, and God is doing so in large part in and through the love that exists between us, passing from one life to another, and it's all building towards wholeness and peace. Seen in this way, each life has such significance, such power. Reminded me of the wonderful film, The Dead Poets Society, which tells the story of a charismatic and world-changing teacher named Mr. Keating. And Mr. Keating walks into sort of a stiff and hopeless boarding school full of stiff and hopeless boys. And because of his love and through his love for life and his love for poetry and above all his love for these boys, he introduces the revolutionary idea that their lives matter. He quotes Walt Whitman when he tells them that they have identity, that the powerful play goes on, and that they, they can contribute a verse. The powerful play goes on, and each of us contributes a verse. And their lives are changed for the better, forever. And probably not just their lives, right? The, probably also their children's lives, and their children's children's lives are changed in the film's conclusion, Mr. Keating is dismissed, and the boys, they stand on their desks, defying a system that would have them be smaller or quieter or less enchanted by life. And they quote Whitman again, calling Keating, oh, captain, my captain, because he's changed how they see themselves. He's taught them that their lives matter. His love and his passion for teaching, it's changed their lives and so when he's gone, long after he's gone, they will carry him with them. His spirit will rest on them. For each of us, there have been people, teachers, parents, grandparents, siblings, friends, spouses, children, colleagues, who've changed who we are, who have played a meaningful role in transforming us into our best Selves into the people God would have us be. I wonder who those people are for you. My Aunt Beverly was certainly one of those people for me. She died in January. I'm actually going this week to her memorial service in Colorado where it's going to be 20 degrees, so preparing myself for that. It's difficult to summarize the impact that my aunt had on my life. She was very devout in her faith, you know, passionate but not pious. She was dedicated to her church. She and my uncle sang in the choir for as long as I can remember. And she was just one of the most loving and gracious and joyful people I've ever known. She walked gently through the world, and every room she entered was better for it because she just exuded such an honest and open-hearted love. The loss of her is still very new in my family, especially my Uncle Joe, to whom she was married for nearly 60 years, uh, and my cousins. You know, we are deep in grief. It's important to remember from our scripture reading that before Elisha inherits Elijah's power, first he inherits sorrow. Yes, he goes on to do great deeds, but what he first does is tear his clothes into. What he does first is grieve. But I think it's worth saying that there is love even in grief. 
Any of us who've lost someone dear to us knows that grief and sorrow, these are but another face of love. Philip Brooks once said, we do not want to lose our grief because our grief, it is bound up with our love and we could not cease to mourn without being robbed of our affections. Understood in this way, even our grief is love disguised. As I began to process this loss and as I was preparing this sermon, I found myself wondering if part of my aunt's legacy is that my cousins and my uncle and her friends and her nieces and nephews, we all now carry a portion of her with us. It's not that we're her legacy. Her life is her legacy. The ways she loved people is her legacy. And we remember her well when we intentionally carry that love and her example of loving kindness with us when we let it sort of seep into our bones, when we breathe it into our hearts. When we lose someone we love to death, we can persist as Elijah did saying something like, as the Lord lives and as you yourself lived and now live in me, I will not leave behind what you and God have bequeathed to me. My aunt's love, her gifts, the fruit of the spirit she poured into my life, I will not turn away from them. I will carry them with me. Lord, Lord, may her spirit rest on me. Nobel Prize winning author Isaac Bashiva Singer wrote, The dead don't go anywhere. They're all here. Each man is a cemetery, an actual cemetery in which lie all of the grandmothers and grandfathers, the mother, the father, the wife, the husband, the child, Everyone is here all the time. The story of my aunt's life, of your life, of my life, of the lives of those we love, they continue long after we leave this earth. And if we understand our lives to belong to God, we can understand ourselves to be characters in this powerful, transforming play that God is writing in which all of creation is being healed and restored through the love that exists in the Trinity and between God and God's creation and between us, passing from one life to another, sometimes showing up like an awkward smile. Viktor Frankl, when pondering the purpose of life, the way to a life that matters, arrived at this conclusion. For the first time in my life, I saw the truth as it is set into song by so many poets, proclaimed as the final wisdom by so many thinkers, the truth that love is the ultimate and highest goal to which we can aspire. And then I grasped the meaning of the greatest secret that human poetry and human thought and belief have to impart that the salvation of man, the salvation of man is through love and in love. A good life, a meaningful, impactful life is a life steeped in love, directed by love, understood through love. And in very real ways, we inherit love. We inherit shares of the gifts and the powers, the fruit of the spirit of those who love us. And in this way, people are never really gone. In his lovely novella, The Bridge of San Luis Rey, Thornton Wilder tells the story of Brother Juniper, and Brother Juniper is a Franciscan missionary who witnesses the tragic collapse of a bridge and five strangers fall to their deaths, and he's deeply impacted by the tragedy, and he sets about to try to uncover the truth of what has happened and who they were, and in doing so, he asks the novel's pivotal question, why did this happen to these five 
What sense do we make of this? What's the point? And the conclusion he reaches is this. But soon we shall all die, and the memory of those five will have left the earth, and we ourselves shall be loved for a while and forgotten, but the love, the love will have been enough, and all the impulses of love return to the love that made them. Even memory is not necessary for love. There is a land of the living and the land of the dead, and the bridge, the bridge is love, the only survival, the only meaning. I've been so touched to hear over the years the life stories of our pastors, and one of those stories that has deeply impacted me is Pastor Mingy's stories of her father, about the depth and the passion of his faith, about his love for his children, and he would read scripture to them every single day. And because of his life and his love, Pastor Mingy, she begins each of her days in the Psalms. And he's never really gone because his love for Mingy And for God, it lives now in his precious daughter. And in a very real way, the Psalms, they have been changed for me too because this verse he contributed in God's powerful play, the thread runs through Mingy's life and her siblings' lives and her nieces and nephews, but it also runs through mine and yours. What a comfort then, this truth that each life matters. Each life contributes something that can be felt far beyond its years. What a comfort that the people who have gone before us are still here in us. That no one, no one is ever really gone. When we hear about inheritance, we tend to think about money and stuff. But another definition of inheritance is the acquisition of a condition or or a trait from past generations. And so we inherit the share, a share of the lives that touched ours in literal ways, like the regrettable face I can't stop making, or like a friend of mine who could unmistakably recognize in his newborn daughter the mannerisms of a mother he lost too soon. But we also inherit metaphorically. We carry stories and experience and wisdom and failures and the beauty of each of the lives in our family tree. Everyone we care about everyone who touches our lives. And if that's not good enough news, God and God's omniscience ensures these inheritances, they aren't arbitrary. God ensures we get what we need. God ensures we get what we need because it's all God's ministry, because God is the one writing the whole play. At the time of Jesus' transfiguration, Jesus and Moses and Elijah speak about Jesus' departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. And the voice of God echoes the word heard at Jesus' baptism that Jesus is God's own son whom God loves dearly. And because of that love, because of that great abiding Love, Jesus dies and is raised and he promises us, he promises us that he'll never leave us. And so does it not then make sense that the same Holy Spirit poured out on the disciples at Pentecost still flows between us and that it is a spirit of love and that love, it outlives us. That the powerful play is God's play. And the theme of the powerful play is love. And into it, each of us contributes a verse. And no one, no one is ever really gone.